So today I'm going to be talking to you about goals. Some might say they're impossible goals that the Apostle Paul tells the church in, in Thessalonica, Greece. But before, I'm, before I do, I'm curious, do any, do any of you do New Year's resolutions? Show of hands, see a few out there. A couple. So I looked up some popular, I heard nope. I hear that out there. <laughs> I looked up some popular New Year's resolutions and thought I'd share these with you. So exercise more, eat healthier, quit smoking, drink less. I'm not going to call anybody out on that one. Spend, hey, spend less time on social media. I know that's for somebody in here. I know it is. Um, but I'll read some stats to you here in a second. So um, learn something new. I thought that was pretty cool. Travel more. I'd love to travel more. I'm going to put that on my... I don't do New Year's resolutions, though. Um, read more. Hey, how about this? How about this? The pastor will tell you. Maybe read your Bible more. Make that a New Year's resolution. I actually just make that a goal. That's not an impossible goal. Um, I think Jeremiah and, and Jim Hoyt were heavy on this one when I was looking up. Fish and hunt more, right? <laughs> and then we have my personal favorite, play more golf. Right, Debbie? <laughs> so I came across this study from Ohio State University. Oh, wait, hold on. Pastor Brandon would be very mad at me. The Ohio State University from their Fisher College of, of Business. And they reported that only 9% of Americans that do New Year's resolutions actually complete them. In fact, research goes on to show that 23% quit their resolution by the end of the first week. And 43% quit by the end of January. I don't do New Year's resolutions. If I did, I'd probably would have it blown by the halftime of the first college game on, on January 1st. <laughs> but what I do is I, I write down my goals. I write them down. I share them with my wife. I look at them periodically, like every three months or so. And if I need to, I adjust them. If the goal seems like it's... I'm not going to get there. It's not like I'm moving a deadline. I'm just going to maybe change it up a little bit. And this is the time of year. So I thought it was cool being on the calendar to, to talk to you all this morning. This is the time of year where I start looking back on the year to see how I, how I did. And I start kind of thinking about what kind of goals do I want to write down for next year. And I write them down. Research has shown that people who write down their goals are 42% more likely to achieve them than those who don't. So right there, I just encourage you to write them down, put them in your phone, put them in your notes app, some things that you want to accomplish for 2024. Right there alone, you're 42% more likely than the average person to achieve them. So can I get personal with you? Can I share some of my goals? So... I always start off with a word, and this year's word is thankful, and then it coincides with the Bible verse. It just so happens to be the Bible verses that I'm going to be sharing with you shortly, so I'm not going to share what those verses are. But I break down my goals into four different categories. I do them spiritually, because I want to grow closer in my relationship with God every year. You'll hear us saying it a lot next month. 2024 will be your best year 
of your life if it's your best year spiritually. That I can promise you. Then I do personal goals. I want to be as good of a husband as I can be. I want to be as good of a friend, a, a brother. Um, and in my career, I, I'm, you know, I still de desire career growth. I may not have gotten promoted this year, but I grew in my career in the same position. And financially, I want to give more. Financially isn't just about how much money I'm going to make. I want to have a heart of, of giving. I want to, I want to, my first goal on financial is going to be I want to give more in 2024 than I gave in 2023. So that's some of the, the things that I do. Some, one of the, a couple up here. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So some accomplishments I wanted to, to share with you. So one was to complete the required courses through Southern Wesleyan University to become a licensed pastor. I did that. I did that. Um, I put on here, preach at church. I put that in spiritual because as I'm writing this, I am growing and connecting with God and he wrecks it and changes it up all the time. This, this I looked at it. I was like, I, this is my fourth time preaching this year. So that, for me, that was pretty cool. Under the personal side, um, I just, you know, wrote down about, you know, that Debbie and I for our health, that by his stripes we are healed, and that we're just going to continue getting good and positive um, medical reports uh, to make healthier lifestyles. I put a, a number on there for weight. I didn't hit that goal, so it's going <laughs> to, I'm going to move it over into next year. We'll try that. <laughs> so, so, so that's kind of how I do do my goal. So I'd encourage you to write them down. You may not have to be as much of a nerd as I am and have a full page of, of goals, but I'd encourage you to write down one thing. So today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm really excited about this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, it's my verse of the year that I just shared. These are verses I have leaned on many times in my life. The first letter the Apostle Paul writes, almost 2,000 years ago, mind you, he writes it to the church in Thessalonica, Greece. Paul gave them goals that could seem very outrageous and unobtainable. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when somebody gives me a goal that's not achievable. In the past, I've had some goals handed to me that I didn't own, and guess what? I didn't hit them. That doesn't mean I didn't work hard and do my best. I did. But what I didn't do is allow an unrealistic goal that was handed to me to define if I was successful or failed. I'm in leadership in the company that I, that I work for and often have to deliver a goal or help craft a goal for someone on my team or a coworker. And I like to use what is called SMART goals. Anybody heard of SMART goals? Anybody use SMART goals? So SMART, it's an acronym. You can see it. SMART goals, they're specific. They're measurable. They're achievable. They're relevant, and they're time-bound. There's an actual deadline or timeline on when you're going to accomplish that particular goal. When it comes to setting goals, it's imperative to understand the right balance between what's possible and what's impossible. A good goal will stretch you, 
but it must be possible. A goal that's impossible will never work because no one will be serious about trying it. So I have a few fun illustrations that are going to pop up. Ask me to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I'm not putting one foot on that rope, and I think that guy that's doing it's crazy. <laughs> he did it, though. <laughs> Ask me to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot goal. That's not going to happen. Maybe 25 years ago and 25 pounds ago, <laughs> maybe. Because um, I, I could dunk back in the day. So that, I couldn't jump like that guy, like Michael Jordan. Come on, is that a great picture or what? Um, heck, my jump shot's now a set shot, if that tells you anything. <laughs> so on the other hand, because I love to play golf, ask me to hit a 200-yard shot to an island green surrounded by water, get the ball to stop 20, 25 feet to the hole. I'd, I'd take that one up. I've, I've hit shots like that before. Excuse, I've gotten lucky in the past before. <laughs> I'd give it a go because it's possible. So um, it's possible. I'd give it a go. Therefore, I'll break it down like this. We will not even tempt the impossible, but the possible. The possible may still be very challenging and difficult, but we can be inspired to give it a go. I've titled this message, Impossible Goals. And yes, that's a question mark. That's a question mark, Debbie. It's not a typo. She would be nudging me. So just so you know, a little insight on Debbie, Debbie and me, our relationship. If there's a typo on the slides, I'm getting elbowed in the, in the rib. So it's a question mark because impossible goals. But I'm going to share that the Apostle Paul gave. Are they impossible? Maybe they're possible. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to or if on your phone, tap to on the Bible app. Is that how we do it? Tap two on your Bible app. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 16, where Paul writes down three short challenges. So let's ask ourselves, are they possible or impossible? Remember, possible, we're not going to try them. So are they possible? The answer to that question is very important. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in 16. If you're there, I love the way Pastor Brandon does it. He says, if you're there, let me hear you say word. The word of the Lord says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you ever wondered what God's will is for you, here it is. It's right there. This is a good one to memorize, too. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In only a few words, Paul sets down three imperatives. Rejoice always. I lost my place. Sorry. Technology. And rookie. Rookie move. <laughs> <laughs> Unpaid staff, right? Um, all right, I'm back. Sorry, we'll cut that part out of the tape. You guys had to bear with me there. Disappointed in myself already. If you ever wonder what God's will is, it's right here. In, in, a, in only a few words, Paul sets down three imperatives. Rejoice always. 
pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. But it's the words always, continually, in all circumstances that seem so difficult, they're probably impossible. But are they? Or might they really be possible? Let's break it down. First, there's the command to rejoice or to be joyful always. Turn to your neighbor and say, rejoice always. You didn't really say it like you meant it, but well, <laughs> rejoice always. Uh, the early Christians in Thessalonica, Greece, they, they had it tough. You got to remember, this is almost 2,000 years ago when Paul is writing this to the Thessalonians. And um, there could be persecution by Jewish or Roman authorities. There might be division within their families. And some Christians, their unwillingness to belong to trade guilds meant they couldn't earn their living using the skills that had generated income for them in the past. These things were real-life experiences of Christians in Thessalonica. Their neighbors had turned on them for their newfound faith in Jesus. That must have broken their hearts. Their friends had become their persecutors. Aren't you glad that we live in a, a time and place and in our country that we can come to church and not worry about our neighbors persecuting us? Heck, my neighbors came to church this morning. <laughs> Thank you for coming, too. But the Christians in Thessalonica, they didn't give up. And earlier in his letter, Paul commends them. He writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1-3, We remember before God our Father, excuse me, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope and the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't hide away. Instead, they were bold with their witness of Jesus, something we could all learn from and imitate. So among the hard places for the gospel, Thessalonica was high on the list. But through their trials, these Christians had become stronger and a model for other believers. They had a work of faith, a labor of love that was inspired and came from Jesus. To people like that, People who have gone through hardships like that. Paul writes, rejoice always. But how can they? These are people with a fiery furnace type experience. They're being persecuted for their new faith in Jesus. How can they constantly rejoice? Or, okay, you might be saying, that's easy for someone else to say. How do you rejoice when things don't go your way? How do you rejoice when you get a bad doctor's report? How do you rejoice when someone close to you hurts you? How do you rejoice when something terrible happens to a loved one or when a business deal doesn't pan out the way you want it to? When life just seems to punch you in the stomach and it's hard to catch your breath. Rejoice always. Yeah, right. Right, Paul. Sure you are. Paul's not talking about rejoicing always in the sense of this like permanent superficial happiness where you'll see people acting silly all the time or whistling cheery tunes or just acting like, acting like fools out there. Not that kind of, of joy, because th those people get on your nerves, right? <laughs> Don't they? Let's be real. 
especially when you're dealing with something and you got somebody coming by being silly or goofy with you. You don't want to deal with that. So here's my first point. Rejoicing always is something deeper. It's the inner contentment of a life made right by God's grace. And we do that by drawing on God's strength, filled with God's hope, and destined to spend eternity in God's presence. Joy is a choice, and we not only rejoice in happy things, but when life seems to deal us a crappy hand, we can rejoice in our sorrows. We Christians, followers of Jesus, can rejoice always because our joy isn't based on circumstances, but in God. Circumstances change, but God doesn't. God's love for you will never change. After all, he gave his one and only son just for you. We can rejoice always. Now, now turn to your neighbor and say, joy is a choice. Rejoice always. A little better. Not, not. Are you feeling it, though? <laughs> okay, all right. Um, next, Paul gives us the command. Here's another good one. Verse 17, to pray continually. Okay, pray continually. Come on, Paul, you know that's not possible. Or is it possible? I've always hoped that praying continually is possible because that means I pray in my sleep. And then I could boast about it and say, I'm so spiritual. I even pray while I'm sleeping. I don't think that claim would go very far, though. Um, the Greek word uh, Paul uses here is prosukomai, which means to pray. And at its root, it combines two words, to face in a direction and to speak out loud. And therefore, the core meaning, uh, the core meaning is turning to God. Share your thoughts, your needs, your desires, your hopes, and your dreams with him. So, prosukomai. Prosukomai does mean to pray, but also means to bring your whole life before him. How then do we do that continually? Praying without break seems to rule out sleeping or eating or several other parts of life. Some commentators think Paul is talking about reoccurrence rather than constancy. It's not that we pray every moment of every day, but that we keep coming back to God in prayer. And Paul could mean that. He could. Or it's also possible Paul talks of praying continually in the same sense that I might say I love my wife continually. That doesn't mean that I don't do anything else than gaze into her beautiful eyes and stare in contentment. It doesn't mean that. I still do things. I still eat lunch. I still concentrate on work. Debbie knows I still go play golf. But none of that, <laughs> she just said a lot for those of you at home. Um, but, but none of that diminishes my love for my wife. It's always there and affects every part of my life, my decisions, my motives, my plans. It's a love that is constant. So here's my point. Praying continually is bringing our love and lives to God, never ceasing to offer our whole selves to him. Our love for God, our turning to God, 
our being in his presence and our seeking his will and drawing on his strength can be and should be constant in our lives. Prayer is communication with God, and we can live each minute of the day in a constant flowing conversation with God. Turn to your neighbor now and say, prosukamai, or just say pray continually. <laughs> pray continually. <laughs> like that over there, don't you? Prosukamai. Um, the last command Paul gives us is in verse 18 to give thanks in all circumstances. If we'd ask Paul, are you saying, should we thank God for everything in the world, no matter how evil or how hostile it is to the gospel? Paul would probably thought of that to be a strange question. We don't give thanks for everything, but in everything. We recognize God's sovereign hand is in charge in everything. I heard it put like this, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. So we can be thankful. If you think you have it tough, I want you to check this out. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I've always wondered why didn't he say 39 lashes. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Wow. That's pretty tough. Which say here Paul writes about being thrown in prison, about being beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, going without sleep, without food, going without warmth or clothes. Not for a moment did Paul welcome these things. He suffered badly. He nearly died. The command to give thanks in all, all things doesn't require some kind of intellectual or spiritual gymnastics to believe everything that happens in this world is really good. It may not look like it. So my third point, there is never a time during which we can't be thankful that is possible. There is never a time during which we can't be thankful that is possible. We can give thanks in all circumstances because God is there too. He is with you. We can give thanks in all circumstances because there is no circumstance God can't use for his purpose, even what is truly bad, because something God uses for good. We can give thanks in all circumstances because God has a wisdom greater than ours. Paul commands the Thessalonians and us to be joyful always, to pray continually, 
and to give thanks in all circumstances. It is possible to do all these things. And the final, final words of, of verse 18 add, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yes, God longs to see us joyful. God longs that we pray and talk to him. God longs that we give thanks. It's his will for our lives. And God truly knows what he's doing. In closing, if I were to give our church a goal for 2024, it'd be a SMART goal. Remember what SMART goals are? They're specific. They're measurable. They're attainable. They're relevant and time-bound. It's right here. It's right here. I'd give you a goal to memorize this scripture and believe it in your heart and live it in 2024. Will you repeat it after me? Repeat after me. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for uh, these words from the Apostle Paul, Lord, that will, will speak life in, into us, Lord. I want to pray for, for everyone in here, but before I do that, I want to give somebody an opportunity. Maybe you've never given your life or accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. I want to give you that opportunity. Or maybe you, maybe you have at one point and then you drifted away and you've tried things your way and they just never seem to work. I'm going to give you an opportunity as well to, to rededicate your life. That was me several years ago. I always tried to do things my way. And I always wound up failing. God doesn't want you to fail. So if you want to, want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, it's, it's really simple. All you have to do is write in your heart, say it and believe it, that that. You're a sinner, but you repent from your sins, that you believe Jesus lived that perfect life, that he was crucified for our sins, that he died for our sins. But three days later, he rose, and he lives, and he can live in your heart. If you don't believe right now, you can do it right now and accept him as Lord and Savior, and he can live as the Holy Spirit right in your heart because he has a plan for your life. Lord Jesus, I just pray you have your way through us, Father, that, that this, these scriptures, these words from the Apostle Paul, to rejoice always, to talk to you and pray to you continually that you are a constant in our lives and that we have a thankful heart that we can thank you in everything because that's your will for us, Lord. So I lift up the church and pray, pray that you bless them 
and that you are with them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.